Now, I am a common type man, but you see right now, well, I'm a big winner. Now, that, yes. that's news, right? Yes, that's now, what right, I had in... but, uh, but let me tell you something. The, you see, the video crew isn't here on this trip. This is just a research trip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doggone, oh, that's too bad. Sorry. Hey, do you know what this fella told me? He told me, once you make it with a robot chick, that's it. You don't never want nothing else. <laughs> I swear to God, that's what he told me. <laughs> Are you going to do it? Do what, Ron? Have sex with a robot! It's the best forgotten Hello and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, the podcast about the films at times sent to fight serial killer theme park robots. I'm your co-host Gareth Green and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time Disney animatronic, Andrew Phillips. It's a small world after all, it's a small world after all. It's a small world after all It's a small, small small world There's a world of laughter Okay, I'll stop now Thank you (laughs) Yeah And with the release of HBO's Westworld remake We're travelling to the past to look into the future As we take on Future World The original sequel to Michael Crichton's cult classic film But is Future World an electric dream of a movie? Or should this robot be stripped for parts? Find out after the trailer. That's my robot voice, by the way. Shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Roll the trailer. In 1972, Delos was open to the public. It consisted of three fantastic vacation resorts. Roman world, medieval world, and West world. It was a computerized paradise where nothing could go wrong. But something did. Now... In 1976, Delos is about to reopen. We have invested more than $1.5 billion to rebuild our equipment. Its problems have been corrected. We have replaced every circuit. Its technology has been perfected. The new Delos is not only the most fantastic resort in human history, it is also failsafe. And an incredible new world has been created. American International presents Future World. Starring Peter Fonda, Blythe Danner, Arthur Hill, and Yul Brynner as the gunslinger. Program the blast-off sequence. Five, four, four, three, three, two, two, one. one. We have ignition. Welcome to Future World, the ultimate vacation resort. Fully programmed for your pleasure. Where, for only $1,200 per day, you can experience anything you can imagine. And a few things you can't. My knife to your pawn. Prepare the Martian ski sequence for five guests and return power to grid three. Future world, where every day is an exciting new adventure. Where your fantasies become reality. Where highly sophisticated technician, maintenance, and servant series robots work together to make your wildest dreams come true. Take us both. You can take risks face danger, defy death, all in complete comfort and total safety, 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 safety. You will never harm Delos. They're duplicates. You will do what Delos instructs you to do. They're creating and programming duplicates of real people. You will destroy your original. I will destroy my original. Peter Fonda. Blythe Danner, Arthur Hill, and Yule Brynner. Even those of us who create them can't tell the original from the duplicate. In Future World, if you can afford to go there, you're lucky. If you can't, you may be luckier than you think. After the attractions in a theme park kill their guests, the Delos company decides to lost world this fucker and just do the whole thing again a couple of years later. Peter Fonda is 1970s guy, a reporter who cons on to the fact that this company who manufactures serial killer robots might be up to no good. 
With the help of a wet rag played ably by Blythe Danner, the two reporters seek evidence for the Dallas Company's wrongdoing, all during their stay in Future World. <laughs> well, they don't just Lost World, like they full-on Jurassic World it, don't they? <laughs> like, it's bigger! <laughs> it is, yeah. So, Andy, why have you nominated Industrial Factory World for consideration <laughs> on Best Forgotten Movies? Well, I heard about this film quite a long time ago. Because I knew about Westworld, I think it was around the time when Arnold Schwarzenegger was purported to be involved in a film remake of Westworld back yep. in the late 90s, and that sparked my interest, because I think I'd seen Westworld in a couple of sci-fi books. But then I heard that there was this sequel called Future World that was little known, and uh, it definitely seemed as if it was like a, a typical like 70s sequel. Yeah, it just sort of got lost and forgotten and everything. And with all films like that, I find them endlessly fascinating, just because of the, like they're, they're just weird, bizarre little films. Yeah, they are. And, um, they're oddities. Yeah, and then yeah, a few years later, I managed to find on DVD uh, and a really strange like one of these weird companies that brings out weird films where the box artwork's fucking weird. Yeah, you know, it's like made by a pencil paint, and something. Like, yeah, it's made on paint or something. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, had that for a while. It was a really bad version of it, like a really bad print. And yeah, watched it and just thought, oh God, this is a really weird little film. I think I watched Westworld just before it because I got it on DVD. Yeah, and that's it, really. And then it's been sitting on my shelf, pride of place in my sci-fi section ever since, and I've never seen it again. It's just one of those little odd little films. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. No, it is. I mean, this is my first time watching the film, so I have no prior experience with Future World. But um, you did introduce me to Westworld only a couple of years ago, in fact. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. even more than that. Maybe about three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved it. I yeah. thought it was absolutely fantastic. But um, it was always one of those films as well that during film school, they often used as an example of one of the first kind of like genre splicing films. It would yeah, always be, yeah. what is this genre of Westworld? And everybody would come up with a different answer. And uh, that was the beauty of Westworld. And it also, it did the Terminator before James Cameron. Yeah, honestly, it's, it's a prototype Terminator film. It's a prototype Jurassic Park. Yeah. It's almost like a, it's a prototype for the kind of film that Paul Verhoeven would make. Yes. As well, later on in the 80s. So God, it's, that's, that is a remake that I would love to see. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven's Westworld. Because yeah. it almost is already, but just taken to its logical conclusion yeah. with that, it'll be yeah. great. So I knew of Westworld, obviously. I knew of the legacy of Westworld. But um even so, I, I think it's more of a cult classic than an actual classic. Yeah, it's yeah, never it really it's very little it's known due. outside of its sort of cult status. Yeah. It's quite dated in a way, but I think that's also its charm. Yeah. As well, I do like the 70s of mm-hmm. it. It's like a little time capsule into what the future was like for those people living yeah. in that time sort of thing. And Future World even more so. <laughs> really. I have no problem with films that represent the era in which they were made. I don't yeah, think yeah. every film has to be timeless or has to feel like it's relevant every single day of the year. Yeah, you yeah. know, I like a film that you watch and it transports you to a time and to a place. And mm. Westworld is certainly a film that transports you to the early 70s. Oh, it's yeah. back, back to when these films were made and how they were made. I think we're adults. We can adjust our minds contextually to when this film was made and mm-hmm. uh, its time and place. We do it all the time although yeah it's probably a film that would get sneered at by some audiences for its hokiness in times so i think they're missing the larger points of what that film achieves yeah i mean it's a very simple film on the surface but its subtext is quite complex yeah and it just does its job very well and very efficiently because i know there were a lot of things that they weren't able to do because the budget was so small because they literally made it on like one million two hundred fifty thousand dollars yeah for the whole film and i think two hundred fifty thousand dollars was spent on the cast and like £75,000 was spent on the set. Yeah, well, they got James Brolin, who was in demand at the time anyway. Yeah. He was a, like a, a known star, really. Yeah. In, in somewhat low-budget films as well. I know he was in films like The Car. Yeah, and obviously they got Yul Brynner. Yes, of course. As well. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of very effective world-building, even though they have very little resources. Mm-hmm. Like, you can really get a feel of the world and everything. I mean, and this is something that they've really been able to take on board with this new version of Westworld. I feel they've they've been really quite respectful. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's, it's very simply told. It's very straightforward. But the underlying subtext behind it is very 
deep and complex, which I think that's, again, a really good jumping off point for the TV series, which I think they're going to exploit to its full potential. Yeah. As well, which this film doesn't do. <laughs> yeah. No, no, this film is another one of those films that flirts with ideas and yeah, it flirts yeah. with the subtext, but it never actually does anything with it. Yeah, it never commits. Any listeners who haven't seen Westworld or are trying to keep themselves virginal for the Westworld series, we will probably indulge a couple of spoilers for the film itself. Yeah. I would say that Westworld is certainly worth watching. So oh, yeah, perhaps- and I think you can watch Westworld self-contained as a film because i think again the story of westworld as it plays out is very simple which i think the tv series it's not going to follow that no it's just using it as a jumping jumping off off point yeah yeah. it's definitely going to be its own thing and just uses the premise really but i would definitely say watch the film westworld before uh, this because there's definitely some good stuff in there and uh, one of the things i want to talk about is quite spoilerific but um Westworld is a film that also takes very real risks because you have the most known character other than Yul Brenner, of course, mm. but James Brolin, the original Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> it, who, he does he look is. strikingly <laughs> like Christian Bale. James Brolin looks more like Christian Bale than he does Josh Brolin, which yeah. is his son. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. He is also, like say, one of the more well-known cast members. He's one of the first to die. Yeah. And uh, it's a very brave choice, and it's yeah. a turnaround that the film just, uh, you are instantly on the back foot from that point onwards. I remember um, I, f- I remember gasping when he died. Yeah. Like, I, I, I was like, oh, no, they've killed off the guy I know. Yeah. Uh, and I liked what it did. It took the strongest character, made an example of him, and then we followed the weakest character through the rest of the yeah. film as he's being hunted. That's a smart filmmaking. That's yeah, a smart yeah. storytelling move. Yeah. Future World, unfortunately, doesn't have many of those moves yeah, in its, it's, uh, it's toolbox. It's a real oh shit moment. Yeah. Future World doesn't take any risks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to Future World. I mean, like we say, yeah. Westworld is a film that we both appreciate very much, and I'm sure we're going to continue to reference it throughout as the right way to do this. But um, let's actually... Um, talk about the context because most of our listeners know that before we actually uh, start discussing the films in question sometimes we might even discuss the context and set the scene a little bit so um yeah when was future world made and how did it come to be well westworld was made in 1972 and came out in 73 mm-hmm. and yeah it was a, a very small budget film and uh, it was michael Crichton's directorial debut and he put himself under a lot of pressure mm. so much so that after the completion of the film, he actually took a whole year off, didn't do anything for that whole year, because he was basically almost like a nervous wreck after making the film, and then actually stopped doing sci-fi for about five years afterwards. Uh, He ended up doing stuff like uh, The Great Train Robbery and Mm -hmm. the film of that. When the film came out, I think it was reasonably successful. I don't think it was like a massive hit, but I think it was reasonably successful given its budget. Like you say, it had a budget of 1250000 and it was originally released, and I don't think it did all that well initially, mm. but once um, it reached the what would have been limited home video market then, and uh, it was something of a success, so they re-released it later on that same year. Yeah. In which it made seven million, and in all, I think it made ten million yeah. on a, a very good poster. Five million dollar budget. Yeah, it did have a great poster. Yeah, well, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> in the seventies, there were not that many sequels that were made to films. It wasn't like now, where if a film's kind of a even a moderate hit, then people are going, "Yeah, sequel." No, films are made these days with the next four or five films planned out. Yeah, that's the situation we're in. I actually think that we are in. The complete opposite situation that they were in in the 70s, yeah. whereas they didn't think whatsoever about the sequels. And if their film did well, it's like, okay, we'll make, we'll cash in on this and make a shoddy sequel. And most of the times it was a shoddy sequel. Whereas now, all that the studios think about is sequels. Yeah. And merchandise. And yeah. And it, it's funny, it's funny now that they, obviously the attitude at the time, which I wish they'd go back to now, like they were always interested in something new rather yeah. than something to be revisited. Yeah. They began developing a sequel to Westworld at NGM. I'm not quite sure how far along the line it went, because there's really not much on the development of this film. But um, they ended up passing on it in the end. Yes. And it went into turnaround. Well, they actually passed on it to pursue Logan's run. Yeah. Which was going to be the Passing on it to sa- do something new. It, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it would wait until... Whereas the, nowadays, they'd have gone, now nah, fuck Logan's run, let's do a sequel to this film. Yeah. 
It's like Logan's Run. Who's heard of that? Yeah. Um, in fact, Logan's Run is a film, uh, like a brand name that's, that's currently being remade. <laughs> well, it's I, I've been reading that it's being currently remade since the yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. And it seems that every couple of years, a new director jumps on board, mm-hmm. but for one reason or another, it doesn't go anywhere. I think uh, the last person I remember it being involved in in the remake was Brian Singer. At some point, I yeah. think there's been somebody since as well. Yeah. And Future World did go into production in 1975 with AIP. Yeah. Uh, American International for? Pictures. Oh, got it, yeah. I did look them up and they were like the bargain basement of film companies. Like anything that would drop off, they would catch. Yeah. And make into films. It wasn't really like Canon Group, but it was kind of a similar thing. I mean, like some of their earlier films were like Roger Corman films. Yeah. And, but then they some weird... feel like a prototype canon film yeah. in some ways. And they used to do like black exploitation films. They used to do all those like uh, Pam Foxy Griff Brown. Foxy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And was it Coffee? And... Is it, was it Foxy Brown? Or Foxy? Yeah. yeah. They, they did stuff like Blackula. Oh well. yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, Coffee as well. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So they did stuff like that mixed with Stuff like Wuthering Heights starring Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. And, and loads That's of a very shit. strange mix. Yeah. They folded up in the late 70s, became Filmways, which then turned into Orion. Orion, yeah. So, yeah, this is like the precursor to Orion pictures. <laughs> Did you know the uh, working title for this film? Nope. The working title for Future World was Did Nobody Learn the Lesson the First Time? But it was axed because producers didn't want a movie title phrase like a question. <laughs> Really? That that was the title? I thought that was just the tagline. It sounds to me like it would be just a tagline. Did nobody learn the lesson the first time? It does sound like it's uh, just a tagline, but on IMDb trivia, it's listed as an alternative title. An alternative oh, wow. title, yeah. Um, which, yeah, that it was, was eventually, I'm rightly so, axed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They refer, and even in the new series, I'm not sure how they're going to get past this, because they refer to Theme Park as Westworld. When in fact Westworld's only one of the worlds in mm-hmm. the park, and it's actually the park's called Delos, and uh, obviously you've got medieval world, Roman world, yes. and, and all that kind of stuff, and they they revisit those in the, in this film, like medieval and Roman world. There's even like the hint of a sequel with the under construction bubble. Yeah, yeah, it looks even as if in the TV series they're doing that as well. It's just obviously they need to use the Westworld. Yeah. Thing because of, because the of the brand. I, yeah. I, I'm kind of hoping that in the new series they are going to have more than just the Western. Yeah. I imagine that's something that they may start off with the Western and then maybe go into other things because it's one of those things to keep the show fresh is to have Exactly. Other... I, I, I think um, Seasons On kind of thing is, yeah, is yeah. going to be exploring these other worlds and what's behind these yeah. other worlds. I hope so. I, 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 really I, loved, I mean, even in this film where it's, again, a bit of a retread, I still loved them going into the other different places. Yeah. And seeing people... that That's the other weird thing about this film. It's one thing, and then becomes another, and then completely abandons yeah. what it's been doing for the rest of the like, running time. Mm-hmm. We haven't really got much in the way of context no. on this film because there's such like scant information available to us in our research. But So it's really time for us to actually start discussing the film. Yeah, There was uh, an odd little documentary I found on YouTube. This oh, yeah? A seven-minute documentary about the making of this film. Oh, how was it? That was uh, mainly just about them, how they managed to film in the Lyndon Johnson Space Center because yeah. they were the very first film. There's two interesting facts about this film. They were the very first film to film in that kind of environment, in the NASA Space yeah. Center environment, and they used the testing facilities and the underground networks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the other weird thing is that this film was the very first Western film that was screened and shown in communist China. Oh, yeah, I did read that yeah. as well. Yeah, it's that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, no wonder they didn't take our films for many, many years afterwards. <laughs> to be honest, um, for... A large portion of the film. I was kind of doodling a picture of Yul Brenner in my notes. <laughs> I just saw it. It's very good. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Spent you. a lot of time on it. I, well, you know, a good hour of the film. Oh wow! No, no I was just kind of like on and off doodling it as I was watching the film. Yeah, and the film's I, very uninvolving. It is because I, I did think it had some good ideas, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere. I thought I had the film figured out. I thought I knew what the twist was. I wrote down a few potential twists in my notes, which I'll get into later as we start to discuss the film. But um, it doesn't commit to any of them. It, it doesn't commit to any of them, but the twist that it does present is a solid one, but then it also does nothing with it. So for about a good hour of the film, or maybe the first 40 minutes or so, I was kind of not involved in it. I was, I was still watching. I was still taking notes and 
keeping up to date. Mm-hmm. But and then all of a sudden, I was I was interested. Something happened, and I was interested. And then I was like, I can't wait to see where they're gonna take this. Yeah, they take it nowhere. As, yeah. And the thing is, for me, this is such a missed opportunity because there's so much potential to mine and the idea of, of a future world, of exploring beyond Westworld. I think Westworld is a great jumping off point, and mm. um, I hope that the series does it. But um, yeah, if I just give a brief overview of what I thought, I, I just think it misses the mark. I think it wastes its potential, but it does have a couple of solid ideas mm. I wish it just committed to. Yeah. So what did you think of Future World? Well, this is another film that you can call Procrastination the Movie because they spend an awful long time looking at things. It's like a mystery that's going to be solved, but it's only one thing that they need to find. And they spend so much time just looking around yeah. and they find this one thing. And then once they found this one thing, and that's it, really. Yeah. So there's not enough pieces to the mystery. Mm-hmm. Like It's literally just one thing. Yeah. And uh, again, the rest of it's just like, we're going to go around here and explore. I mean, it's more like a, a run around the world rather than yes. anything resembling a, like a coherent plot or like thriller or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I liked it for that because I do like exploring this world, but there needs to be something else yeah. other than that. And again, it does work towards something that's actually quite interesting, but then again, it just throws it away. Yeah, and and I do like the setup. I do think there's a clever point earlier on in the film, during the credits, in fact, where there's this very uh, Blade Runner-esque opening eye shot of Peter Fonda's eye, which very much reminded me of Roy Batty's eye in Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. It instantly sets up the idea and instantly gets you thinking that this character is a robot. This character is a robot. And it's, it that turns out to not quite be the case as the film goes on, but <laughs> it, it, it instantly gets you thinking like, oh... These people are more advanced robots of some kind, or something's going to happen with that. And it does, but not in the way that I thought. And it does set up this potential idea of there being this uprising that's already happened of the robots, and perhaps they've already taken over. But there's nothing with it. No. It just uses it as an excuse to repeat what Westworld did. Yeah, it which just is becomes just... a very uh, 60s and 70s body snatchers plot. Yeah. Really, where it's very like, uh, was it the comedy version of Casino Royale? Where <laughs> we're going to replace all the world's leaders with robots. Yeah. And then we're going to rule the world. Pretty much, yeah. And then yet all that promise is just thrown away. Uh, yeah, I did like that. Like you say, it set me up on the wrong foot. I thought it was going in one direction, but it actually went in another. But the biggest problem that I actually have with Future World that Westworld doesn't have is that I understand why people would go to Westworld. I understand the appeal of visiting Westworld because it is unlike anything in the real world. It is a period piece. And all the other places as well, like you say, you've got this period Roman world, you've got um, the medieval world. Mm. I get why people would want to experience that because they're experiences that we cannot have today that feel as real as that the best we get is like that um medieval dinner place in america <laughs> medieval know? times medieval times yeah and yeah. um or sitting down and watching game of thrones or a western i understand why people would want to go to westworld and relive that i don't know why people would go to future world i get that there is the appeal of looking at like say you're going through an actual space center yeah, but that's yeah. still very much of this world. Yeah, there's nothing in that world apart from a couple of scenes that presents anything that you can experience that you couldn't experience in the real world. It doesn't take it far enough. Essentially, what it presents is inherently redundant because it already exists in the real world. Yeah. It needed to go to a a future city. It needed to go to a future planet or something like that. It needed to be a. It needed to be grander in scope. It didn't just have to be. Oh, here's a rocket that we're going to pretend we're going into space in, mm. and then we're off that rocket. I think that's more emblematic of the times, though, Yeah, as well, because obviously they were filming in, in the NASA Space Center, and obviously at the time they were generally thought the space program was going to take off and we we're going to make leaps and bounds yes. very, very quickly. Yeah. And I mean, I've been watching quite a lot of programs on the Space Shuttle this week, actually, for some completely unrelated reason. But yeah, it did feel like that was where everything was going to go, and because of things like budget cuts and... Uh, the space shuttle program ultimately being flawed mm-hmm. that it didn't really happen but at this time people were like oh yeah we're going to be there in 10 years 
Yeah. And again, I think this is another one. It does fall into that 70s sequel trap. It's very much like Jaws 2 in that way, where it doesn't want to veer too far away from what's already been established. So yeah, it doesn't want to Having commit. something like that that's grand, yeah. apart from that one set where there's actually a reused set from another film, everything else is on locations, like redress locations. So to make something that grand would require a lot more effort. Yes, it definitely and, would. And uh, I don't think there was that kind of level of foresight or caring Mm-hmm. on the filmmaker's part to actually do that. They just really wanted to uh, make a, a very cheap, efficient way of cashing in on Westworld. Yeah, which was the way sequels were made yeah. back in the 70s. Well, largely, anyway. Yeah, It's strange. This film is... Um, it's only a couple of years before Alien, you know? Yeah. Which is another film that wasn't didn't have the most lavish budget in the world, but if they would have just committed to a just a touch of scope, they, you do get moments. It's like, they do show you them experiencing the Martian planet surface or something like that some oh, skiing skiing that's it yeah which is literally just skiing in spacesuits somewhere pretty with much a red filter yeah. over it. That's <laughs> hilarious. i do understand where that thought process has come from because like you say the whole space station thing the whole space as a venture that was new in the 70s yeah but um yeah i just wish i had a touch more scope to it and the weird thing as well is that they had the opportunity because they got the premise where they rebuilt the park why not have different worlds other than medieval world and Roman world again? Because the only thing they changed was the fact that Westworld was gone and Future World was there. But we still had medieval world. Yeah. The film completely misses the point. Uh, they actually completely forget about the fact in the original film, the first death occurs in medieval world. It's yeah. when the knight kills the guy with the moustache. Mm-hmm. And that's he's the first one that kills, and not the gunslinger, which they actually get the wrong in the film. So it's like they didn't even pay attention to the original film that much. But why not explore a different themed world in a sequel. Why go back to the same yeah. ones? I mean, they abandoned them pretty quickly, but it just seems weird that they go back to those exact same... Like, why not Prohibition world? or Oh, know, yeah, yeah. Or why not 18th century Japan world? <laughs> you know, something else that's different. Why not, like you say, fantasy world? Yeah. This is something I hope that the new series does over time, is that it starts off in this Western place, but there are other places to go. But yeah, it's just so... Um, unimaginative i mean the, the whole film is quite bar a couple of interesting things it is very unimaginative and very pedestrian in the way it goes about this concept yeah. there is some charm in that i mean like i say i one do, of the I do think there's first... a lot of charm to be guarded i say in both films there's a lot of charm to be guarded in the 70s-ness of it uh, that's what i was about to say is that one of the first things that uh, you text me when we were watching it in prep for this was yeah. that it's just so 70s yeah it and is it so really 70s. is I mean, Peter Fonda is Mr. 70s, man. <laughs> that glasses Those and hair glasses. combo oh, is wow. amazing. Yeah. And we even get a bit of pube. Oh, a, yeah, a we bit, do. We get a bit of, uh, <laughs> a bit of Fonda pubic hair yeah, in this yeah. film. Too much, I would yeah. say. He's not been working out, has he? <laughs> yeah, I think Peter Fonda's career was kind of um, not doing that well at this yeah. point in time. I think he... I think he was having problems getting out of his Easy Rider yeah. sort of thing. I toyed with the idea of referring to him as AC Rider to like go with that <laughs> robot theme. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it would have been a, too much of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, Blythe Danner's also in this film. Yeah, it's Gwyneth Paltrow's mum. Mom. Yeah. yeah, I haven't actually seen her in any films beyond Meet the Parents. So this is the first time I've actually <laughs> seen her in, a, it, like, in her youth. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame. Again, as a character, she's given not much to do other than complain quite an extraordinary amount and then just do whatever the other characters are doing anyway i loved it at the beginning it's a proper 70s moment or proper like of the time moment as well where she's told by her editor or her boss to uh i think it was like shut up and do what she's told (laughs) it's like wow that's that's so sad that's so (laughs) 70s there's a lot of things even just on a basic terminology where they just they try and set up some sort of like tension between the characters like some sort of backstory it's half-assed like they had a an affair once upon a time. Yeah. It's really vague. They kind of don't like each other that much, but they kind of do. Yeah. Uh, and they end up having sex halfway through the film anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not really that bad. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it's the conflict between the characters or the, the thing that's holding the characters together isn't particularly strong. It's a wander around the mm-hmm. world with these two people. It is, yeah. And it's a shame they're not more interesting although i will say that despite being the wet rag of the film in, well she's in the, the socks she... of the film <laughs> hey socks oh yeah oh she does actually have the most interesting scene which is when she is confronted with her doppelganger robot yeah and it's yeah, all yeah. about 
you know how I think and I know how you think. And mm-hmm. uh, it's all about confronting that. That scene, I thought, gosh, I wish the rest of the film was like this. I wish yeah. the rest of the I'm film li- was... I like how they shoot each other and you don't know which one survived. But then they do nothing with it. <laughs> I, that was it. I, when... They even go to the point where they're actually there's a continuity area where the next scene she's wearing a completely different outfit. Yep. And they, <laughs> they break the 180 rule. They might have broke yeah, yeah. the 180 rule. We don't know. That's yeah. the thing in the camera shot because, like you say, it's shot in such a way that it could be either of them. And, and why uh, don't they play on it? Like, even towards the end of the film, is it her? Is it not? They just don't. Yeah. They, no, it's her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they also play it like a really kind of Victor. The, the ending is out of nowhere. Oh, the, man, ending the ending comes so out of weird. nowhere. And, 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 like I say, we've shot it's this. Such cons- a, it's such a limp ending as well yeah. for like, why aren't they chasing them? Yeah. They're, they're still they, in their property. They've only just got on a train. Yeah, it's they're like still they've in their property. They've got on the, the monolink or something like that, the yeah. monorail. And it's like, oh, just stop the train. Yeah. You own it. <laughs> like, I'm through these doors. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been great if when he did the old fuck you at the, yeah, yeah. the doors closed and he was just kind of stood there like, uh, uh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I also think that it presents the ending as being like this big happy ending. Like, um, he goes, I've just called my friend who's, you know, spread the news all over the place. And it's like, okay. Oh, it's- so what? But is it me or is, isn't everybody else around them robots now? Yeah, it's a cheap TV ending. Yeah. We've already seen all the other characters. Like, there's some kind of Russian politician general yeah. uh, there. And there's um, so the Japanese. Jap- yeah. Yeah. And we've seen that they've already been replaced. So. He's, like, divulging all this information, all the while being completely surrounded by Delos Company robots. Why don't they just go, yeah, we're going to kill you? Yeah. It spends so much time setting up those dignitaries and influential people, and then after a certain point, just completely forgets about them. What happens with that sword? What happens with the camera? Like, like, it, it goes things out like that. to set up the sword and the camera. I actually wrote in my notes... <laughs> Somewhere like oh the little bit of foreshadowing with the sword, oh, the samurai sword, yeah, and then and they, the camera. You do nothing with it. It's like so that was all just redundant information. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. Sword foreshadowing in the most blatant <laughs> way, and then nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, those characters. Are, uh, I guess this is just where the film misses the mark. There's a weird story thing where obviously most of Delos is robots, but they're yeah. making flesh and blood human clones and then brainwashing them to do their bidding, why didn't they just brainwash the originals if they're actually flesh and blood clones? Yeah. I didn't understand. It seemed like an unnecessary step if they were going to brainwash these clones anyway. Mm -hmm. Because there's a whole setup where they have this thing where they've got headphones on and all that kind of stuff. Why not do those with the actual people? Why why go through all the rigmarole of of scanning and and cloning all these people? It just seems so unnecessary. Because they wanted to get to the idea of, oh, there's that person looking at this person. Obviously, mm-hmm. you get that interesting scene with Blythe Danner at the end. But there was a real lapse in logic as to why they were doing it in this way. Yeah, I almost thought as well at one point, I mean, to go through the w- things that I thought this film was going to be about as they were happening. <laughs> originally, I thought that the characters were already robots as they arrived there because of the opening. Because the title credits is simply Peter Fonda on a slab yeah, with an yeah. electronic kind of eye thing. Yeah, yeah. And that, I thought, oh, well, so he's a robot, which isn't quite the case as it goes on. And no, then I not. thought that, um, John, another effective scene in which they are being operated on and scanned and all their insides are being, like, replicated. Mm. Almost the data's being logged. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was yeah, a very yeah. creepy scene. Yeah, it's good. At that point, I thought, oh, they're being augmented. And I thought that's where it was going. And, I, and by the time it actually was revealed that they've just been making Body Snatcher-esque clones... I liked the conspiracy, at least what I thought was the conspiracy. But, um, yeah, they do nothing with it. And I wish, actually, that they would have just gone with the augmentation idea. Why not, like, do it that they found a way to program humans? Yeah. And there, was, know, like, no, there was no focus on what Dallas was trying to do. Yeah. Either. There was some sort what of, was like... was Endgame? Yeah. There was some sort of, like, vague environmental plot yeah. going on. So is this film anti-environment? <laughs> I don't know. It's almost about that Terminator Salvation subplot that never got used. Yeah, it was very it's, very similar. It is, it's pretty yeah. much that entire subplot. Yeah, but also it was very unclear as to how Delos was made up. Was it all robots or was it all just certain humans yeah. with their robot army? It wasn't very unclear as to who was 
in charge of who yeah. was at the top of this conspiracy and who was actually driving it. Yeah. Because you thought it was the Duffy character and then obviously, no, it's not the Duffy character because he's just like a puppet. Yeah. Uh, and then is it the the Doctor character? Like, no, because he looks, he feels like too far down the chain yeah, yeah. to be like completely in charge of this. So who is? And it just like, it was, it's very wishy-washy. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you because it never really commits. Because you need, you need some sort of mystery. Yeah, you don't need to get to the top, but there, seemed, there need to be some sort of focus in exactly yeah. what they were doing. It never really commits to it, and I really like the idea because the way I understood it was that they were all robots that were acting like their human counterparts would have. Because that's one thing that they do say, that they can think for themselves, and mm. that will make them more human, but they have to adhere to their programming. Yeah. And I thought, oh shit, the robot uprising has happened before this film has even started. Yeah, I thought that is a really cool idea. Yeah. That it obviously does nothing well and no. never explodes. <laughs> I don't think any... he even thinks about that actually. But we do get that exchange where um, the doctor and um, oh, what's his name are talking. The uh, grey-haired fellow who turned Duffy. Up. Duffy, yeah, are speaking, and uh, the doctor says that if he had his way, they would all be robots. And Duffy says that um, you know it's good to have a few humans around for like the working roles, the workers' roles. Yeah, and I thought oh. And, and even thinking about that, I was like, oh, so there's even conflicts within what the robots think. That's never drawn upon. No. So at the end of it, you're left and with it was a question never, mark. It, and like, it's never made clear whether that doctor is a robot or not. Exactly. So you, you kind of, I don't think it even gets that far. I think it just thinks that it's he's human, I think. Yeah, which is a shame because yeah. there is a good idea in there. I'm actually, once you revealed it to me that the guy was in fact not a robot, I was like, oh, it's actually a lesser film now because yeah. of that. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I don't think the film even gets there in its line of thinking it to that point. I think they just, they kind of just give up. And yeah. it's like, no, there's this. And we've got, oh, well, here's our robot reveal. Oh, he's not that kind. Yeah. It's very like, it's like they wrote it in an afternoon, really. Yeah. And again, there's some kernels of great ideas, which you would have come up with in an afternoon. But again, none of them are developed yeah. into anything significant. And again, the main characters, there's nothing interesting about them. Like you said, you thought, oh, is he a robot? No, he's not. Yeah. He's just a person. And uh, even <laughs> even when he's confronted with himself, like I say, the only the, the Blythe Danner scene does um, a good job of just flirting with the idea of them facing up to almost who they are mm. as individuals. Like if you were if you were writing this film, you would make them as flawed characters that have to face up to their flaws when they're presented in yep. these robot characters. That's the film that you would make if you want to apply any kind of depth to it yeah. or any kind of character relevance. But instead, it just becomes a Terminator movie of a chase through a factory. And it could just be Yule Brenner again, only it's smacking wise. In fact, now we, I think we need to talk about the elephant in the Ooh, room. Yeah. Um, the Yule Brenner-sized elephant the in the Brenner room. The Yule Brenner appearance that they really bigged up as well. It's Peter Fonda, Blythe Danner, and Yul Brenner as the gunslinger. As the gunslinger, yeah. And even make a point of it at the end as well, yeah. in the credits. Um, I was waiting for him to turn up, and then when he finally did, I was <laughs> like, oh, so he's in it for the rest of the film now. No. No, one one dream sequence. I think it's quite possibly the laziest way of getting an actor who's been in a previous film to be in your sequel. Yeah. I think it's worse than, a, than an extended cameo yeah. like in your film. Because it doesn't bear any relation to the plot. It's like a mini art house movie in the middle of this thing that bears no relation to anything else. They've just stuck it in surgically. It's one of those things where I feel like they weren't quite sure whether they were going to get him or not. So mm-hmm. they did it in such a way that if he wasn't going to be in it, it didn't affect the rest of the film. And then because yeah. they have, oh, we can put this little section of the film in yeah. just to make up the running time. <laughs> and they actually shot it in an afternoon, probably at Yulbrenner's house or yeah. somewhere nearby where Yulbrenner lived. And just made this little sequence with one of the other actors, some extras, and that's about it. Did it in an afternoon. Yeah. Shot it in slow motion and dragged it out for all it was worth so yeah. they could get him on the poster. I actually and thought the, the whole dream sequence was nauseating. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a cynical cash grab. It's almost like the cinematic equivalent of robbery yeah. by saying, oh, yeah, your Brunner's in this film as a gunslinger. We didn't say he was actually going to be in the film. <laughs> yeah. He's one of the biggest faces on the poster as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, along with Blythe Danner. They seem to be really playing up their romance with the poster, which <laughs> doesn't actually exist. Also, like, what's the thing with Blythe Danner and Yul Brenner? Why is she dreaming of him? I don't think there really is a reason, Gaz. <laughs> <laughs> Is this just who something is this? everybody dreams about? It's a, it's a fantasy lover who looks like your Brenner. See, that's, that's the that problem. That bears no relation to the first film's plot. That's the problem. I'm just continuing to make sense of the plot that they went with. Because there was even things like after they had been operated on, and she says that she had that dream again where 
they were trying and, I, and that made me think oh so this is something that's been going on for long before they arrived they st- <laughs> you know and that's never played upon that goes nowhere that's just apparently she just dreams of people operating on her stop trying to plunder depth <laughs> it's not there guys it's not there <laughs> they didn't think about this stuff oh my god they wrote this in an afternoon yeah it, it feels like on a napkin in yeah. shit <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Yul Brenner, not in this film. He is uh, Sir. Yul Brenner is in not this in this film, guys. Yeah, he's in another film that he spliced in. Yeah, it's almost as if yeah, somebody's been cheeky in the cinema and gone. I'll take this bit from this porno and yeah. stick it in the film. You know, it is. It's softcore porn. Yeah, it really is. She's running down in slow motion. It's the artistic angles. Yeah, it's the artistic portion in a seventies porn yeah. movie. Gunslinger. That is, that is a porn name as well. He's the gunslinger. I'm the gunslinger. Let and me it, just whip this and out. It's almost as if they just cut off just before they get naked. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's like the intro. The thing is, you can come up with a number of bullshit reasons to actually have Yul Brenner in the film in a more substantial role. You know what? I can come up with one now. For some reason, his consciousness has survived in the Dallas Company computer, and he decides to replicate himself. Yep. Done. Uh, so, um, oh, we, we can't get Yul Brenner on set? <laughs> we can't get him down to Houston? We've got to film him in, in Beverly Hills? Okay. In his, in his bed? Right, okay. Um, he's not prepared to go more than 10 miles outside of his house? Okay, okay. We'll, we'll think about that. Um, okay, guys. I'm thinking dream sequence here. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> done. I've already wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> it reeks of that as well. It's, it's so fucking lazy. But quite hilarious at the same time. Just yeah. for the pure cheek of it. It is, it is. <laughs> it's such a cheeky thing it, to do. It, it is. I, I can only imagine if you want to see that at the cinema going, I was promised your burner. What the <laughs> fuck is this? Well, I, yeah, the, the three people that probably saw it. Yeah. Because I think the API, they specialized in doing films that would be packaged as like a double bill or as a second feature. Because yeah. obviously around this time, you'd had double bill showings where your B movie would show before your A movie. And mm-hmm. they specialized in the B movie, of which I think this is probably one of them. Yeah, it, it definitely reeks of that. Yeah. You're plundering for depths that just aren't there, Gaz. No. And they're just not there. I mean, again, <laughs> some of the better moments of this film are just the bits where they're just retreading Westworld. Well, that's the thing, because that is the film that does have depth. Yeah. And oh, this film also falls into the... Uh, like, as everybody who listens to the show knows that we have a bugbear, which is <sighs> title credits over the film. At least this has a title sequence, this film. Although yeah. it's even from footage that they reuse later on. Yeah, yeah. But it's done in an interesting way. However, this film does feature another bugbear of mine, <laughs> um, which is they use footage of a previous film in the world in the as archive film. footage as archive footage when they would have never seen it. Exactly. It's, there's some really. There's even some like fucking POV shots and like yep. shots of people dying like that, are, that no one witnessed I as well. There's the, that. there's the shot of the operative, the, the Delos operative, dying uh, when he gets shot by the guns thing in the first film. There was only him and the gunslinger present. In the middle of a desert. Yeah, it's uh, so bad. I mean, at least I would give this film the excuse of it being it's a sequel. They can't go away and reshoot this footage from different angles. I mean, I would even ask the question, do you really need this footage? No, I didn't. But at least it's not a film that's doing it within itself. Like you still And they would get... probably have to pay for this footage from off MGM. Yeah, well. absolutely. <laughs> um, I guess they were getting their money's worth. Yeah, I suppose. Here's some CCTV footage. <laughs> yeah. It's just shots from the actual film. So well framed and well yeah, and well eye lit. level. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another bugbear of mine. There's so many B characters in this that are just set up and then forgotten about after a certain period of time. Like you've got the um, obviously you've got the dignitaries, but then you've yeah. also got the like the redneck character. Um, oh, who opens the film? Who opens the film, yeah. What a very strange scene to open this oh, with. Oh, it's, it's a strange scene to open on, because I thought, we cut halfway through something yeah. here, and then it ends weirdly as well when it goes into the titles. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. I mean, the opening to Westworld's a bit weird anyway, because I know that was like a reshoot, but this is like ten times weirder. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of like it in itself. I do love the... Uh, it is, again, very Paul, Paul, Paul Verhoeven Yeah, I quite liked that character, even though it was such a massive caricature, but then it goes nowhere. Uh, what, what did they do with him? They didn't even kill him or anything. No, no, no. He's just halfway through the film. He seems to want to get his end away. Yeah. I think he does. Yeah. The end. And then you see him leave at the end. Yeah. You, we don't even may, know he's been turned into he a He may or may not be a no. robot. <laughs> it's, it's just such wasted potential. Yeah. And then we get other really nice little like characters that they don't do anything with them is treat like you've got the character of harry 
yeah. who's like the only other human character that we meet who's actually part of the Dallas corpor- like yeah. company who sort of lives in the basement and he has his uh, robot assistant called Clark. And I thought that bit was actually quite nice. I really like their relationship. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. Um, them playing poker with each other. Yeah. And it's like, he doesn't have a poker face because he doesn't have a face. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Are they having sex? No, they were. Yeah. They were, definitely. Like He's got Clark all the right it... holes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why he took his face off. He couldn't, he couldn't bear the guilt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! That then you get exactly that whole bit happened. where he says goodbye to him, and it's quite emotional. And he has yeah. the bit where the robot puts his head in his hand, and it's like, oh. We don't see the moment where he takes off his then, robot buttocks and yeah, takes and him away with him. Five seconds later, he just gets unceremoniously killed, stabbed yeah. to death, and it's like, what? You did that? Yeah. That was all you could think of to do yeah. with that character, and it's just ah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's very frustrating because again, there are some nice little things in this film, and it's just uh, they just can't be asked. Really, it's mm-hmm. like it really can't be asked to actually like fall through with things. Like, like we don't. Well, we've done that. Let's kill them off. Yeah, or we've done with that. Let's just not go back to them. But at the same time, I love it. I love it for its its seventies kitchenness. No, no, I love um, the little trams and things like that yeah. come, come around and the way they use those trams are actually real. Yeah, yeah, uh, they're right. actually. I think they're going to be replaced soon, but they are now the secondary underground tram system in Houston International Airport. And I actually even watched on YouTube, there's a video where you can go around on the tram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go around it because it looks exactly the same. It's 70s futuristic looking. Yeah. No, that, I mean, I do get that. There is something endearing about its uh, 70s-ness. Yeah. In fact, there is. I think the problem that I just continue to face with it is that it's a sequel to Westworld, which yep. is a far superior film. It always comes off second best. You are right. There is something endearing about it, despite its um, flaws and its wasted potential. Yeah. And it's, it's often in what's bad about it as well at yeah. the same time you know <laughs> the fact that they didn't really dress the sets or anything yeah. like that you can just see the sets i like that even inside the um space center we get to see that um huge door open and the vault door yeah it's like it, all that stuff the scope of it is fantastic but it, yeah it's it uh, but, then you, have but then you're also that. thinking how would that work as a theme park yeah. thing it's like that doesn't look very enticing <laughs> at all yeah it's funny like they've just tried to retrofit these big locations into something that doesn't really work yeah but it's funny all the same and charming all the same it is it's the cheek of it the fact that they tried to get away with this yeah i do love the look of the 70s robots as well like how they all i love how 70s robots even when you look into the 70s like doctor who's and they do exactly the same thing when you get the android characters yeah and they have the face that pulls away and it's all and like it's all circuitry it's all, underneath all big circuit boards and like yeah. that wouldn't work practically <laughs> like because obviously that's why they ended up going completely different routes when they did alien they've got like light boxes for eyes yeah. and stuff even in westworld as well and i love when they're getting repaired <laughs> and they have the the big circuit boards coming out of yeah. them. it's like <laughs> they have these big chunks pulled out it's like how do they put that back like <laughs> Somebody's just wood glued a bit yeah. of like a ram, a stick of ram yeah. to them. I know. I always yeah. love it when they do the reveal as well. When they they have the actor, and then when they cut to the reveal, it's so obviously a paper mache face. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the one Duffy was like, "Oh, he was a robot." Yeah, the outlines already made out on his face before they even peel it back. Oh, jeez, there's <laughs> nothing more horrifying as well than the scene in which they wear the face of another android, and it's that paper mache face that you've got stuck to the helmet. Yeah, and when he was wearing it, I was like, "That is fucking terrifying." Yeah. <laughs> his cold, dead eyes. His yeah, horribly wrinkly paper mache head. <laughs> It's clearly been left under the yeah. radiator for too long. Those are the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I loved all that. I found it funny as well, like how obviously all these operatives were meant to be robots, yet the actors playing them made no effort to make them look robotic. They were no. just like wandering around. Oh, you're a robot. I'll throw water on you. You oh sparks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, you're yeah. a robot. And they <laughs> yeah. told them afterwards, yeah, you're actually playing a robot. Oh, okay. I thought I was just a, a man in a lab coat. <laughs> what happens if it had just turned out to just be a guy? Like, yeah, ha ha! He threw water at me. Why did you do that? Like, why? Why? Yeah. This is my favourite work coat. I love all the cliches as well. As well, you got that Frenchy character at the beginning, who was like, "I got some information for you." And then the next time you see him, I've been shot in the back. Ah, Dallas, dad. Just the pure cheek of it, I think. I I kept forgetting that that was how the film started. Actually, with his uh, his source being 
shot down in the street. Yeah. Which made me think as well, like, once more, that the ending of the film, this film ends at a place that wouldn't logically end. Because... They would just be killed at every yeah, single juncture. Totally. They are still in Dallas Company's perimeters. They're still in danger. Why are you ending now? As they walk off laughing like, ha ha ha, roll credits, while they're still in the fucking Dallas Company. And all the while, this is a film that's massively longer than Westworld. Oh, yeah. Like, by quite significantly and, and you feel as well. It. You feel you it. You feel it, yeah, because it just meanders around for so long. Mm-hmm. There's things we don't even mention, like the, the hologram boxes, weird shit like that, where they, yeah. you know, and they're boxing each other. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... <laughs> It's so kitsch. We have talked about this film as being really quite redundant and doing very little, but actually it did include one of the first ever pieces of CGI on film. Yeah, well, there were two sources from it, but one of the main sources, which is the... There's the scene with the computerised hand and the computerised face Yeah, that was actually animated by a guy called Ed Catmull. And this is actually the, one of the very first pieces of 3D animation because I know that Westworld was actually one mm-hmm. of the first films that had 2D computer animation in it for the viewfinder of the gunslinger but for this film yeah they used some 3D animation in it for no real reason <laughs> they just on the scanoscapes for yeah. some strange reason but yeah it was done by a guy called Ed Catmull and he ended up being and still is the president of Pixar Animation Studios and he's also the president of Walt Disney Animation as well mm-hmm. he ended up being in the Lucasfilm computer division and then ended up founding Pixar with John Lasseter so yeah just a nice little bit of history there and even if you actually watch the Pixar story documentary rather oddly there is actually an excerpt from this film yeah in the documentary so that's really this film's apart from being shown in China only real claim to fame yeah it's its legacy really yeah and so I guess that makes it in the grand scheme of things somewhat worthwhile yeah you know it, for only a random reason then yeah yeah for no for not any, it's for like any kind of it's, it's another merit. one of those things where the filmmakers were oh this is another thing we can use to publicize the film it's <laughs> got computer animation in it but we've made no effort to actually tie it in with the story none none it's just on a monitor somewhere yeah. <laughs> Also, it's just interesting to say, as we're anticipating, and obviously it will be broadcast by the time we actually release this, but this was not the end of the road for the Westworld series in the 70s. No, which was news to me, actually. And if you've got the Westworld Blu-ray, you will be able to see some of this, and I've seen some of this myself. They actually made a Westworld TV series in about 1980. CBS picked it up, and it was called Beyond Westworld, and actually picked it up directly after this film, well, in some sort of way, in terms of the concept of them trying to take over the world. Yeah. And um, by all accounts, it looked like a very bad TV show. It looked like Dallas, as all shows of that time looked like. (laughs) It was almost like it was a, a single premise show where... Dallas was trying to take over the world with robot duplicates and the job of the people in the TV series was just to weasel out these duplicates. Yeah. And the premise of every single episode was just a slightly different thing where they're trying to find a robot replica. Like, there's a robot replica in the army. Yeah. There's a robot replica in the police force. There's a robot replica in a hospital. <laughs> uh, and that was the premise. And uh, I don't think it's particularly well made. It was very poorly received. They only made five episodes of it. And it was cancelled after three. So only three got broadcast. I think you can watch the first episode yeah. as, a, as a special feature on uh, the Westworld Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely worth looking at for a I'm bit sure of a there laugh. I'm sure be at least excerpts of it online on oh, YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure we can find evidence of it. Yeah. But, um, so I guess it's fair to say that as well, then, that this isn't the lowest point of the Westworld franchise, nope. then, because nope. we have Beyond Westworld, which yeah. sounds beyond shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't think there's much that I can further add to my thoughts on the film, other than to say that... Um, one of the things I did write in my notes was that I thought Itchy and Scratchy Land, the uh, Simpsons episode, <laughs> was uh, probably a better sequel to Westworld. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It was probably funnier. <laughs> yeah. I haven't really got much more to add yeah. on this. But I do have a funny relationship with this film because, again, it's not very good, but I love it all the same. Yeah. It's just because it's so, it's so charming, I think. Yeah. And it's just general cheapness and seventishness and yeah laziness actually i think i can see that it's again we are approaching this as a diff- it's funny it's, it's a not even a good bad movie it's no. just it's just weirdly charming but we're approaching this as we rightly should it's a film from a different time we're not approaching yeah, it yeah. like a film that is made now definitely so it is going to be one of those b movie sequels but it's like you say it's the cheek of what they thought that they could get away with yeah back then. and what they did get away with yeah to be honest in fact it probably works better if it was a like say a, a TV pilot from the time, 
Yeah. It probably would fare a bit mm-hmm. better, but because it's actually a major motion picture, mm-hmm. that's kind of where people sort of really dig into yeah, it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Because it does look like... A t- it, it, the thing is, it does look like a TV movie because it's made by people who are more experienced in television. Yeah. Because if you look at the, the director's credentials, he's basically been involved in television for most of his mm-hmm. working life. So yeah, it does have that kind of feel. So now that we've fended off Future World's deadly animatronics, it's time to ask... Were critics and audiences so lucky? And what did they make of this sci-fi sequel? It's time for the stats and facts. First off, we have the critics. And this film has a 33% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with an average rating of 4.7 out of 10. That's after only 12 reviews, man. (laughs) And there is no general consensus. However, it does have an audience score... And of the 883 people that rated this film, which is very few for Rotten Tomatoes, they uh, rated it 2.9 out of 5, and only 33% actually liked it. So it's weird that it's actually almost close to 3 out of 5, considering how few people liked it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I would say that's probably about right for what this film is. I think it's got some charm, I think... Uh, it's probably about a 5 out of 10 film. Yeah, you know? it's weak but unoffensive. If I was to be completely objective, I'd say it's probably a little bit lower than that, but yeah. it's not like it's... Uh, it, like you say, it was made in a different it's time. It's more like, oh, it's the 70s. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's kind of easier to forgive. Yeah, almost. I think so. But and uh, again, it's just great for nostalgic value, I think, yeah. rather than, oh, that's how it looked in the 70s. <laughs> Yeah, especially because Westworld's legacy has been largely unblemished by this film because few people actually know of its existence. Yeah, and it wasn't even made by the same studio. So, yeah. yeah. So moving on, I have the Empire Review, and they gave the film three out of five stars. And um, I'm in fact going to include the entire review because it's so short. And they say, this sequel hears off in a different, less interesting direction, with Yul Brenner returning only for a dream sequence, but offers a lot of gadgetry, hologram chessmen, vast rocket silos, which was high-tech in 1976, and sweetly retro now. I guess that's what we're going on yeah. about. It's like, it's, um, it's almost sweet. Fonda and Dana, who looked then exactly like her daughter Gwyneth Paltrow does now, are likable leads in 70s futurist leisure wear. Why didn't those tailored jumpsuits catch on? (laughs) And some creepy corporate robot action helps. Dana's gunfight with her robotic duplicate is a standout, but it's a lot less exciting than the original and replaces satire with TV-style plotting. Which is really yeah. exactly what we've been saying. I mean, this is the first time I've actually read this mm. review, and it's bang on in many places. So it's not as good fun as the original, but watching the leads is fun, is what they say overall. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's somewhere between a two and a three stars, really. Den of Geek were less favourable, and they said, I've watched Future World several times over the years, as I really want to like it, but alas, I fear it's never going to happen. It's forgivable that the film doesn't reach the heights of Westworld. However, it's unforgivable that it falls so short. I mean, that is the problem. I don't think it's ruined any legacy or anything like that, but I think Westworld is such a strong jump and off point that it should be better. But again, we have to recognize that this is, the, you know, these are the 1970s. Yeah. This is not how sequels were made back then. No. This is a film that definitely should be better than it is. And yeah. I also agree with that. So that's what critics made of Future World. And I can't say at the time either, really, because these are really reviews of, I guess, yeah. the DVDs and Blu ray releases yeah. that it's had. So, moving on to the box office, what numbers do you have for Future World? <laughs> well, there's not much. The budget is shockingly twice that of the uh, original film, <laughs> considering it actually looks cheaper than the original film. That's just down to who's behind the camera, I suppose. Yeah, yeah its budget was $2.5 million, and it had an opening weekend of $3.8 million. So it definitely wasn't a flop. It didn't make them some money. Yeah. Because I can't imagine the advertising budget for this was that great. No. Because the advertising for most films at that time was really quite small. Yeah. They didn't think it was that important. And that's this opening weekend as well. So I imagine unless it had a very steep drop off, which uh, is very likely that it did actually, that it would have made more than that as well. But I think with this, obviously we have been talking about it being charming and everything like that. But I think we also, again, have to put it in context with the other films that were being made and and being released at the time and the big hitters as well so i'm just going to read off what the top grossing films in america for 1976 because this was released around about mid 76 so in terms of the top highest grossing films of 1976 you had rocky which made 117 million 
domestic, and this is all domestic, so that's quite a yeah, yeah, big chunk is. of money uh, in 1976. Uh, you got To Fly, which I've... Oh, that's a National Air and Space Museum film. I don't oh, know why okay. that is. So hi, maybe it was one of those like big documentary films that yeah. captured everyone's imagination sort mm-hmm. of thing. A Star is Born, another John Peters Oh, of course film, it is, yeah. Uh, connecting with last week's, because mm-hmm. that's a, isn't that a Barbara, Barbara Streisand? Streisand yeah. yeah, he was a producer on that. All the President's Men. Oh, nice. Which is also a connection, because I did read another article on Future World yesterday where they described following All the President's Men, all the films that followed around this time, journalists were treated like gods. Yeah. Like, around about, the, you know, the Watergate, the Watergate scandal. scandal. yeah. yeah. Um, journalists were treated like gods, so it was only natural that the leads of this particular sequel were going to be journalists, mm-hmm. and they were like the heroes. So it's just emblematic of the times that yeah, these kind of characters... There's a really good piece on Charlie Brooker's Newswipe in some episode yeah. somewhere, in which the whole kind of uh, response to journalism is looked at over the years, and they do use Watergate as an example of when yeah. journalism was... They say it was at its finest, or at least perceived... Yeah, as being at its peak as, in respectability. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Something which it is not anymore. No. Thank you, son. <laughs> Cheers, Daily Mail. Yeah, and then following that, we've got The Omen, and number five, that made 60, or well, nearly 61 million, which, given it's really low budget, that's yeah. another great one. Uh, in Search of Noah's Ark, that old classic. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. It's on every day in our house. <laughs> yeah. It's usually on, like, movies for men. And yeah. Stuff like that, isn't it? <laughs> or Yesterday. Yeah. Movie Mix. <laughs> that's it yeah king kong oh the uh jeff bridges yeah. um that's oh. got to be another one we've got to do at some point it really is in fact we got a kong film coming up that's a really good or should we do the even more forgotten one what the uh king kong lives oh linda, linda hamilton, hamilton. Yeah, yeah gotta do that one it's oh fucking yeah hilarious. have you seen it no uh, yeah i've it's seen about hilarious. 20 minutes of it to be yeah. honest and then number eight we've got silver streak which i've not heard of Oh, it's the um, Dune Wilder film with ah, Richard right. Pryor. Uh, it's like their first film oh, together. Oh, the first collaboration. And it's, um, I love it. I love ah. that film. It's got, what's his name? Patrick McGowan as the uh, ah, bad guy in it. Right, okay. It's, it's a good film. Must watch that then. Yeah. Okay, um, The Enforcer. I think that's another one on our list. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, the third Dirty Harry film. Dirty Harry, yeah. The third When he's partnered with a, film. Uh, a woman in that yeah, one, isn't it? Yeah, Time Daily. That's the one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Midway. Okay. Number 10. Yeah. So those were the top films of 1976. So... Also, what you can see as well is there's not anything in the way of sci-fi no. in this, which is obviously all to change the year very, following. Yeah, very uh, soon. It's also good to understand that, yeah, Future World is kind of a bit of a relic of the past as well, because, yeah, it is charming, it is kitsch, but also when you think about, obviously, yeah, Aliens not very long after um, Star Wars is the next year, you can see how very quickly it would have dated, like mm-hmm. very quickly, like it would have felt like a real oddity immediately which i think is another reason why it's been forgotten well this was a heavy transitional period for hollywood anyway yeah uh, because jaws had just came out the yeah. year before which would have been when future world went into production mm-hmm. and that was like the first blockbuster and then blockbusters were to change forever cinema in that way the, the whole summer blockbuster culture was to become the next big thing it's almost like it's last through the door it's almost come out a bit too late <laughs> so i guess uh that sums up future world and all yep. that I'm left is to ask the two questions that I ask at the end of every single episode, which is first up, have we come to understand why Future World has been forgotten? Yeah, because it is a relatively minor footnote yeah. in the annals of sci-fi movies. And uh, again, it's a very, even though it's more expensive, it, it just comes off as a very cheap rehash, yeah, a very lazy retread of the Westworld story, just made to cash in on that. Very much like a lot of 70 sequels were, but probably even more so than, say, something like Jaws 2, where they made some sort of concerted effort to do something. Yeah. And again, like the Planet of the Apes sequels, where they made some effort to do something different. Yeah, there was some ambition. This film touches on it, but again, it just can't be asked, really. I can definitely see why it's been forgotten, because if you're treating it as a serious movie, it just falls flat on its face. But if you're treating it more as like a nice little nostalgia piece, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you. I perhaps don't feel as strongly about the uh, the charm. I do think it does have some charm. Yeah, and I yeah. like the goal that they, of what they tried to get yeah. away with. <laughs> the pure cheek. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I think uh, at the end of the day, one of the reasons it's been forgotten is that it's an inferior sequel in every yeah, single yeah. way. And this was expected of sequels. And so it was probably a flash in the pan. It came out, got to made a little bit of money that weekend, made... It's three million at number one and then disappeared forever, which is really about what's expected. 
But yeah, at the end of the day, it's inferior in every way. And I think that's part of the reason why it's been forgotten. It doesn't do much new. And the very little that it does, it doesn't capitalize on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm led to my second question, which is, is Future World one of the best of the forgotten films or should it simply remain best forgotten? Yeah. We do have to look at it as a, a serious film because, again, it's a, it's a film that was made to be a sequel to yeah. a serious film. And, yeah, it does fall flat on its face. So I think in that sense, yeah, it does need to be best forgotten. But like I was saying before, if you are interested in that period of time, then, yeah, it's, it's a nice little curiosity piece, but nothing more than that. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that point. I can definitely say that, like, say, anybody that's interested in the 70s wants to... Uh, bask in it. <laughs> yeah, bask in it a little bit further. You know, this is a film that does that. Because yeah. also, because there's been very little actually done to the sets, it's just yeah. the 70s as <laughs> yeah. is. And that is there. But yeah, as a legitimate film, it, well, it's not a legitimate film. That's the thing at the end yeah. of the day. And there's so little creativity on show in terms of the writing that it's unfortunate, really. It's it's wasted potential. Mm-hmm. I say this time and time again, but it is wasted potential potential and westworld deserves so much more and hopefully that is something that we'll get with the hbo show which is already out by the time yeah already started i hope it doesn't suck yeah speaking to you in the future (laughs) so future world is one of the uh it's it's a film that should remain best forgotten at the end of the day but it's not without its charm yeah and it's dirt cheap on Amazon, so if you're interested, just get it. I have two copies, <laughs> so if anybody wants a copy, do get involved. I will uh, send Mail it to me you. to this address yeah. if you want the copy. <laughs> yeah, I accidentally bought two in preparation for this. <laughs> I, I bought one second-hand at CEX, and then I bought one off Amazon, not knowing. <laughs> that's how forgettable this film is. So yeah, legitimately, anybody that's got this far in the episode that wants a free copy of Future World and lives within the UK, get back to me and I will send you a free copy of Future World. <laughs> First come, first serve. (laughs) It is. And there's only one going, guys. And that's all we have time for on this week's episode of Best Forgotten Movies. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at B4Movies, so please do get in touch with suggestions for possible episodes. Also, if you have the time to help us continue to grow our fanbase, please rate and subscribe to our podcast page found in the iTunes store. Join us next time as we watch Paul W.S. Anderson ruin two great franchises with a single stone with Alien vs. Predator. Whoever wins, boy do we lose. (laughs) Until then, it's bye from myself and boop beep from Andy. Hey, I just fucked a robot. (laughs) That's a very unemotional way to refer to me. Um, (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) 